From the Salvation Army, welcome to the Holiness Podcast with Lieutenant Colonel Vern Jewett. In this monthly Bible study, we'll be exploring God's gift of holiness, which is offered to every Christian. To download this month's study guide, visit us at salvationarmysoundcast.org holiness. Hi, this is Vern Jewett, and this is the Holiness Podcast, and uh, it's great to have you with us again. And we are picking up uh, this month the series which we began last month on Romans chapters 5 through 8. Life through the Spirit is our topic today. And uh, I hope all of us realize and recognize that we have the Spirit And so we have the power that has been promised us by God uh, through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, just to remind us of the big picture of Romans, uh, we mentioned it last month, but it's good to remember that chapters 1 to 4 are all about justification uh, as a part of salvation. And then Romans 5 through 8 introduces a sanctification as the norm for Christian living. Chapters 9 to 11 uh, deal with the nation Israel uh, in a very interesting and uh, challenging section of Romans. And then in chapter 12, Paul immediately turns to how we consecrate ourselves, practical Christian living, uh, in terms of the wonderful doctrines that we had already discovered. So today, we're going to be talking about God's claim on us as Christians, and we're going to be stressing the union we have with Christ because of the Spirit of Christ living within us and resulting in sanctification in our lives. This section is the only thematic treatment of sanctification in the Bible, And so, uh, it is a passage that we uh, love to study and present some challenges with it. Now, just to recall uh, the first session that we had together in the first study, it focused on Romans 5 and 6, and our key verse was Romans 6.22, which, in a wonderful way, presents the theme of these four chapters. Uh, Just to remind us of it, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit or the fruit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. And we spent some time talking about uh, Paul's various uh, examples of the two great ways of living, the two great economies there are uh, in the world. One is uh, in Adam, which uh, result and is described as us being in sin, leading to death. Here, it's described in our text verse from last time as a state from which we were set free from sin. And at the same time, he contrasts that with living as believers since Jesus came and provided a way of salvation— We have gone from being slaves to sin to slaves to God. And the key phrase in that verse, which outlines what this whole section of Romans is all about, says that the fruit that we reap is holiness. That is a word that could be translated and is in some translations sanctification. And that leads to the ultimate result of eternal life. So, uh, when William Greathouse looked at that verse, he stated this, Sanctification in its entirety is the fruit of our union with Christ. So, here's the key to living uh, as a Christian and living in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells us. That makes the difference in our lives. That's where the power comes from. Not I, but Christ lives in me. And we want to uh, pick up on that by looking at verses 9 through 11 in Romans chapter 8. 
We're going to explain as we go along what Romans chapter 8 is all about, but it, it, all scholars believe that it describes the Christian life in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to start at chapter 9 because it establishes this uh, wonderful truth that the Holy Spirit indwells us. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Now, the sinful nature is a translation of a word that has given Bible students down through the centuries uh, all kinds of challenges. And it's the way in this passage that Paul uses the term flesh. Here, flesh does not mean the human skin and bones and, and what we would call flesh. Here, he is speaking about flesh as the unregenerate man. And so, it's translated in the New International Version, which I just read to you, as the sinful nature. And the sinful nature is contrasted with being filled with the Spirit, living according to the Spirit or in the Spirit. So if we go on in chapter 8, verse 10, but if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And the Spirit, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. So it's firmly established right here in this uh, wonderful section. My wife often tells me, don't get too excited, Vern, when you get to things that I know excite you. But uh, how can you not be excited to read that the Spirit who raised Christ from the dead, His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, lives in us? I want to uh, stop for a moment and give you an illustration from one of my favorite uh, writers, I love modern writers who have the gift of illustrating, and Charles Swindoll is one of those writers. Uh, he wrote a book about the Holy Spirit some years ago called Flying Closer to the Flame. And this is what he said. Let me illustrate. He said, I have a book in my hand. If I were to hand it to you and say, it's yours, I'd like you to have it and you were to take it, I would be giving you a gift. When you take the gift, you become the possessor of what once was mine. But because you took it, it's yours. Likewise, salvation is a gift. And I would stop and remind us of Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. God reached out to you and me at the cross where his son paid the penalty of sin by dying in our place and he gave us eternal life in his son. All he asks is that we reach out in faith and take his gift. Now, the introduction every month to this uh, podcast mentions the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it is striking that at the end of Jesus' life, the last thing that he said, recorded both at the end of the book of Luke and at the beginning of the chapter of Acts, both books which Luke wrote, he speaks about, you're going to receive the gift that God is giving you, and that gift is the Holy Spirit. We are never commanded to pray for the Holy Spirit or to be baptized by the Holy Spirit or to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit or to be sealed by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because all of those things occur at the moment we receive Christ as our Savior. We are told to be filled with the Holy Spirit, which is what Romans 8 is all about. 
Now to go back to that illustration. So you have in your hands the book I gave you as a gift. Now what if you were to say to me, I would really, really love to have every chapter of this book. I would answer, you have all the chapters. They are all there and they are all yours to read and enjoy. You have the book, so you have everything in it. So it is with Christ. When we receive him, we have everything that comes with the gift of salvation, and that includes the indwelling presence of God the Holy Spirit. And because we have the Spirit, we have his power in us. So it's up to us to allow the Holy Spirit to have rule in our lives, which is a term that is used. Uh, early on in chapter 8. So we establish, first of all, this wonderful truth. The Holy Spirit indwells us as believers. Now, I want us to focus for a few minutes on a reality and a teaching that Paul is making here that is so central to uh, the whole four chapters and the way he's laid them out. The Holy Spirit liberates us. And we're going to go back to the beginning of the chapter. And uh, before we began this podcast, some of us were chatting about the fact that uh, the chapters and verses were added in the 10th or 11th century. These are real letters, and sometimes, uh, personally, I wish they had made the divisions in a different place. But uh, here, Uh, It begins, chapter 8 begins with that wonderful word, therefore, and this is an exciting passage. We're going to read the first four verses. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to to the Spirit. Now, there are the two options for a Christian as we live each day laid out, uh, as I suggested earlier. We either live according to the sinful nature because, although our sins have been forgiven, the difference between justification and sanctification is that the power of sin can be broken in our lives, but only by the power of of the Holy Spirit. So let's go back. There's that great statement. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now that answers three questions. First, we have an unwavering, unbroken experience of favor with God. We are not condemned. Now, it's very interesting, uh, the, the various ways that this can be interpreted, but I think when we look at it at face value, we have to understand that uh, this is the entry into the whole discussion about living a life in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not just about justification. It is also about sanctification. So, we're in an unbroken experience of favor. Our sins are forgiven, and the Holy Spirit lives within us. There is an accompanying subjective experience with the reality of becoming a Christian. It answers the question, when? Therefore, there is now no condemnation. This is a present living experience, and it answers the question, who? for those who are in Christ Jesus. So friends, this is for us. 
And verses 2 and 3 and 5 describe the how, that the law of the Spirit delivers us, liberates us. Now, it's very important to look at the way the word namas is used. That's the word translated law from the original language uh, of the New Testament. It is used in a different way than it was used in chapter 7 in verse 2. Uh, Dr. Ben Witherington says that this is definitely not referring to the Torah in verse 2. This is referring instead to a rule or a power. And we live in the tension of two powers or rules in our life. We decide who rules our life. And as it's described in verse 2, the choice is between the law of the spirit of life or the law of sin and death. Now, neither of those refer to the Torah, the Old Testament law. A wonderful Salvation Army officer who was one of our uh, best Bible scholars, Colonel Milton Agnew, wrote a book 60 years ago on Romans 1 through 8. And he suggests that we describe this verse and translate it this way. The controlling power of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the controlling power of sin and death. You see, as we've studied way back earlier in Romans 12, 1 and 2, we are under the control either of the sin and death of being out of relationship with God, or we are in the power of God in our lives as believers in Jesus Christ. This is a very important truth because we're talking about how the controlling power of the Spirit sets us free, liberates us. And an important part of that verse that says, hath made us free, uses a special tense in the Greek which means it's a completed act in the past. It is a historical event. It was something that happened at a specific time that liberates us. And that, of course, is when we became Christians, when we were saved. And this whole chapter points us to the reality we've been talking about, that we are saved to be holy. Now, you remember if you were with us last podcast, that in chapters 5 and 6, salvation consists of justification and sanctification. Justification relates and removes the guilt of sin and restores our relationship to God. It is instantaneous. It happens once in a lifetime. It is settled. It is complete. Sanctification happens at the same time because the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. But this is a description of the rest of our lives. The rest of our lives are not being justified over and over again. We have been justified, and we can live in that reality. But the power of sin is dealt with by the Holy Spirit, and that is an ongoing relationship with God that results in our growing closer to him and in giving him control. That's why I like Colonel Agnew's uh, translation, the controlling power of the spirit of life in Christ. So there are the great deliverances. Now, many authors take the time and Bible students take the time to explain that the power of sin and death and the ongoing temptation that the presence of the sinful condition in our life remains is all related to self. All sin is related to serving ourself. I like to refer to the independent self. I think we live in an age in America and a time where it's an especially and uniquely strong temptation for us to look at ourselves as independent. After all, our American claim is that freedom is total, individual independence. 
probably uh, we have a, a bit of a hyperbolic uh, interpretation of that. We give that such emphasis that I think it's a stumbling block for many, many Christians. A great illustration of the independent self uh, is given by Max Lucado in his book, When God Whispers Your Name. And I want to share that. It's a, uh, it's a great way of looking at this uh, battle as Christians that requires us to constantly do what we were told back in chapter 6, to offer ourselves completely to the Holy Spirit rather than to claim independence and to serve our independent self. Now, you will, some of you will love this, and most of you, if not all of you, will recognize. You and me and all Christians, Max says, and Dorothy of the Wizard of Oz have a lot in common. We all know what it's like to find ourselves in a distant land, surrounded by strange people. Though our chosen path isn't paved with yellow bricks, we still hope it will lead us home. The witches of the East want more than our ruby slippers, and Dorothy is not the first person to find herself surrounded by brainless, heartless, and spineless people. Don't you love Max? <laughs> We can relate to Dorothy. But when Dorothy gets to Emerald City, the comparison becomes uncanny. For what the wizard said to her, some people think God said to us or says to us. You remember the plot. Each of the chief characters comes to the wizard with a need. Dorothy seeks a way home. The scarecrow wants wisdom. The tin man desires a heart. The lion needs courage. The Wizard of Oz, they've heard, could grant all four. So they come. Trembling and reverent, they come. They shiver in his presence and gasp at his power. And with all the courage they can muster, they present their requests. His response? He will help. After they demonstrate their worthiness, he will help as soon as they overcome the source of evil. Bring me the witch's broom, he says, and I will help you. So they do. They scale the castle walls, make wax of the witch, and in the process they make some discoveries. They discover they can overcome evil. They discover that with a little luck, a quick mind, they can handle the best the worst has to give. And they discover they can do it without the wizard which is good because when they get back to Oz, the four of them learn that the wizard is a wimp. The curtain is pulled back, and the Almighty is revealed. The one they worshipped and feared is, alas, a balding, pudgy professor who can stage a good light show but can do nothing to solve their problems. He redeems himself, however, by what he shows this band of pilgrims. He tells Dorothy and company, and this is where Max is going to make the point that will be so uh, illustrative of chapter 8. He tells Dorothy and company all the power they need is the power they already have. He explains that the power to handle their problems was with them all along. After all, didn't the scarecrow display wisdom? the tin man compassion, the lion courage as they dealt with the witch. And Dorothy doesn't need the help of Oz Almighty. All she needs is a good hot air balloon. The movie ends with Dorothy discovering that her worst nightmare was in reality just a bad dream, that her somewhere over the rainbow home was right where she had always been, and that it's nice to have friends in high places, but in the end, it's up to you to find your own way home. So what is the moral of the Wizard of Oz? Everything you may need, you've already got. The power you need is really a power you already have. Just look deep enough, long enough, and there's nothing you can't do. Does that sound good? Sound familiar? Sound patriotic? We've just been through an election season. Does it sound 
It does to me American to the core. However, does it sound Christian? I think for many people it does. I think for years it did to me. My dad was a rugged blue collar worker, a mainspring adjuster for Elgin Watch Company in Lincoln, Nebraska,、uh, 70 years ago. And、uh, he taught us to love decency and loyalty and hard work and to love Bible verses like, God helps those who help themselves. Oh, oh, you're right. That's not in the Bible. Or I've heard, God started it and now we must finish it. <laughs> He's done his part, now we do ours. It's a 50 50 proposition. This theology proclaims. Blessed are the busy, for they are the true Christians. No need for the supernatural, no place for the extraordinary, no room for the transcendent. Prayer becomes a token. The real strength is within you, not up there. Going to church becomes a ritual. The true hero is you, faithfully going to church, not him. And the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit becomes anything. From a sweet disposition to a positive mental attitude. It's a wind the world up and walk away view of God. And the philosophy works. As long as you work, your faith is strong. As long as you are strong, your position is secure as long as you're secure. And your life is good as long as you're good. But there's the problem. Jesus said in Matthew 19 17, no one is good. Nor is anyone always strong, nor is anyone always secure. Do it yourself Christianity is not much encouragement when we're done in and worn out. Try a little harder <laughs> is a little encouragement for the abused. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor over 40 years of ministry that I've seen church members, church leaders, In Salvation Army Corps, soldiers and officers come to a crisis and find that their strength is gone, their goodness falls short, they've tried as hard as they can, but they can't overcome their problem. Why? Because they've believed, usually unconsciously, they've slipped into Satan traps. They believed the world's lie. You can do it. Many years ago, I watched a, a moving, compelling commercial on TV that had this message perfected. A woman holding a child said, I believe in family. Another person said, I believe in my country. Another said, I believe in myself. Even one said, I believe in God. Uplifting, encouraging American values at their best. It was moving and touching, and it seemed so right. But it's the gospel of Oz, and it's a lie. It compartmentalizes God, and it's an adulterous blend of God and self. We need more than good advice, we need help. Somewhere on this journey home, we realize that. A 50 50 proposition is too little. We need more than a pudgy wizard who thanks us for coming. Help from the inside out, the help that Jesus promised. And here it is. You remember, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it does not see him or know him, but you know him. Because he lives with you and will be in you. Here is the indwelling Holy Spirit, not near us, not above us, not around us. Last month I focused in this truth, but in us, in the part of us we don't even know, in the heart no one else has seen, in the hidden recesses of our being, dwells God. Imagine that. The reason I've spent so much time talking about how we are delivered 
from our sinful nature, which is a powerful draw in our lives, is because it surfaces in this idea of being self-sufficient. Millard Reed calls the independent self the delusion of self-sovereignty. Oswald Chambers says, it is my claim to my right to myself. Do you hear that very often in our culture? I think we do. I was reading a message the other day, and uh, the speaker used a parody of Elizabeth Barrett Browning and said, how do I love me? Let me count the ways. So, the decision here is the decision to allow God the Holy Spirit to exercise his power in our life, not to assert our own. I want you to stop for a minute and give you a little assignment. Now, you can't do this if you're driving in the car, but if you're at home or somewhere sitting, I want you to put down whatever you may have in your hands. Maybe you have your Bible. Maybe you're taking notes. Fold your hands and place them in your lap. Now, stand up. Okay. Again, fold your hands and place them in your lap while you're standing up. You can't do it. Can you? A lap is real, but it exists only for those who are seated. It's the result of a particular relationship between the trunk of your body and your legs. How's that for scientific wisdom? If you were to sit down again, your lap would suddenly reappear. Now, that analogy can be applied to our Christian life. God has put us in right relationship with himself. He's put us on our feet, so to speak, and he's called us to walk in the Spirit. That's what Romans 1 to 17 is all about. As long as we do so, our lap does not exist. But sit down again, and there it is as before. You see, the power of sin, the so-called carnal nature, and we talked about this in a previous study, but 1 Corinthians 2 and 3 has Paul explaining to us that there are two kinds of Christians. There are fleshly Christians, we use the word carnal, who are babies in Christ. And he's so upset with the Corinthian church because they're not growing in Christ. And then there are spiritual Christians, mature Christians. We've been set free from that carnal nature, which is no more a thing than is a lap, but its reality is just as undeniable. We've been put in an upright relationship with God. Our task is to fall in step with the Spirit, walk in the power of the Spirit, or we can at any time choose to sit back down in the mire from which we were raised. Because this is so, Paul urges the Roman church, as he does all the churches to whom he writes letters, to offer themselves to God, because freedom from the power of sin exists only as Christians live under the authority of God. Those who rebel against him fall victim once again to the power from which they were freed. You see, I think this is the answer to the question when we talk about holiness. How can entirely sanctified Christians who've been cleansed from inward sin come under its power again? Well, sin is not a thing. It is a distorted relationship with God. And Christians can choose to make their relationship with God less than first in their lives. You see, sin exists when we surrender to the temptation to live as an independent self. We need rather to surrender sovereignty of our lives to God. To do so to anything or anyone other than God is to sin. 
it's just a good time to stop and ask. I'm asking myself, where am I in my relationship with God, the Holy Spirit, who lives in me? Does he have control of my life? What about you today? You know, the last step of Bible study is application. We can do all of the discovery and interpretation and even finding the truth that we want, but until we apply it to our lives, it doesn't make a difference. The last thing I want us to notice about this passage, and this will bring us to the end of our podcast, is that the Holy Spirit not only dwells in us and liberates us from the law of sin and death by the power of the Spirit, but the Holy Spirit leads us. My definition of life through the Spirit, which I wrote a couple of years ago in my own uh, uh, meditation, is the constant opportunistically redemptive work of God's Holy Spirit in me. For me, each of those words is important. The constant, ever-present, redemptive work of God's Holy Spirit, which I describe as opportunistic. I would miss so many opportunities that the Holy Spirit wants to take and use redemptively in my life. After all, you remember back from our verse from last month, we are no longer slaves to sin, but we're slaves to God, servants of God. He does that. He leads us in a wonderful way. Verse 12, which we hadn't uh, read yet. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you would, will die. But if the Spirit who puts you to death or put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live because you are led by the Spirit of God. And those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So the Spirit leads us. He leads us in practical ways. And in a moment, I'm going to give you some examples of how the Spirit leads us in everyday living. But I remembered a story that was told to me when I was doing some postgraduate study at uh, Emory University. I took a course from Dr. George Morris. Dr. George Morris was the initial director of the World Methodist Evangelism Institute. And I took an evangelism course from him. And he told us a story that goes back to the time when I was a teenager. It was back in the early 1960s. Now, we were talking about uh, using illustrations, us older people from way back when. But this was back when we actually had hippies. Uh, I was in junior high school and high school. And uh, he was the pastor of a church in Madison, Wisconsin. And he told us this story because he was illustrating how we have to depend in our everyday living upon the power of the Holy Spirit because we're confronted with situations that are surprises and situations that require of us decisions. Now, I'll be talking and giving you some examples of individual decisions we make and how the Holy Spirit helps us. This happened to be a decision made in church. His church was a wonderful middle class, I think it was a United Methodist Church uh, in the Madison, Wisconsin area. And you'll know that the University of Wisconsin is nearby. In fact, it's in Madison. And during the time of the hippies, it so happened there was a small group of uh, these non-traditional living college students who came occasionally to Dr. Morris's church. And wouldn't you know, when they came, they drove up in their motorcycles and they walked into the church right at starting time and they walked all the way down to the very front row, and they were dressed in jeans and T-shirts, and they had long hair and uh, the typical uh, hippie of our time. 
and they would sit in the front row. Now, that reality, when they came, always made many of the people in the church a little uneasy. Now, Dr. Morris said he quickly established a relationship with them, was glad to see them come in, and believed that the Lord could use them in a congregation that was unused to worshiping with that kind of diversity. But this Easter Sunday morning, a very interesting thing happened. They had come in right at the starting time and had sat in the front row as always, and there had been a wonderful Easter cantata presented by a hundred-voice choir. And when the final strains of the last triumphant song of the cantata were still echoing throughout the sanctuary, and everyone was regaling in just the joy of the reality of the risen Christ as they had experienced it through the cantata. There came the silence as the last echoes slipped away, and one of the young men in the front row, a tall, long-haired fellow, stood up and slowly began to clap his hands over his head. Now, that's rather startling. Everyone else is dressed differently. Everyone's got their Sunday best. Everyone is at this moment, and here is this uh, visitor, occasional visitor, standing up in the front row and slowly, with arms coming from both sides, giving claps of praise to the Lord over his head. Dr. Morris told us he knew immediately he had a decision to make. And he talked to us about this in terms of the leading of the Holy Spirit. He said, all I could do was whisper a prayer in my spirit, Lord, lead me, Spirit, lead me, and how to react to this situation. He knew he could either affirm this young man or he could just move on and not recognize what had taken place as he stood there and clapped hands his hands over his head. Now, his children told him later that he looked like Batman because he had on black robes, but he stood to the side of the pulpit and began in concert with that young man in the front row, began lifting his arms and clapping together in praise to the God of Easter. And he said... After a few moments, he thought it was a long time, it probably was only a few seconds, someone else stood up, and then another stood up, and then from all around the congregation, eventually the entire congregation of close to a thousand people were standing and slowly clapping their hands over their heads in praise to God. He could only depend upon the Holy Spirit, and he said that that experience, because he believed the Spirit in him, led him to affirm and join that young man. That became one of the most memorable moments in the history of that church. What a wonderful thing. A few verses after where we stopped, Paul says that we can cry, Abba, Father. That's a striking phrase, not found anywhere else. In fact, in the non-Christian literature of the time, we find the, the Aramaic word ab used, but never abba and never with the Greek word father. But we're told in this passage that we can cry to him, and he said in his heart it was like he was saying, oh, help me, daddy. <laughs> in that moment. God the Holy Spirit wants to lead and direct our lives. I want to give you just some of the ways I jotted down that God the Holy Spirit does that. Because he's in me and because I'm rightly related to God, I am in Christ. I live in him and he lives in me. 
I sense and know the relief of being cleansed from personal sins. What an encouragement that is to me. I'm able to live above sin's dominating control in my life because of the Holy Spirit. I have immediate access to the Father through prayer. I can understand the Scriptures because the Holy Spirit lives in me. I'm able to forgive and should forgive whoever wrongs me because of the Spirit's leading in my life. I have the capacity to bear spiritual fruit daily, continually, routinely. Fruit, maybe occasionally I can see, many times fruit I can't see. I can worship with joy and with purpose. You remember when we talked about Romans 12, 2, our spiritual act of worship is to live as living sacrifices for God. I possess at least one spiritual gift, probably more. I find the church to be vital in my life and the support of believers to help me grow, not routine or boring. I have a faith that I want to share with others because it makes such a difference in my life. I love and need other people. I personally am an introvert, but I have a, a great sense often of my need for others because God has saved me into his people, the community of believers. I'm able to obey the teaching of the Word of God, which I couldn't do except for the power of the Spirit. I continue to learn. I grow. I can mature in Christ. I can endure suffering. There are some moments in my life when I don't know how I would have survived except that the hardship and the suffering that was beyond my understanding was undergirded by the power of the Holy Spirit. I did not lose heart in my grief. I can know God's will. I live expecting Christ to return, and I have the assurance of heaven. I want you to think for just a moment back to the illustration of having the book in our hands. When we were saved, we were indwelt immediately by God's Holy Spirit. That's why verse 9 is probably, in chapter 8, is probably the theme verse of this podcast. If anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, then uh, they're not a child of God. The Holy Spirit enters the life of a believer. Many people in our tradition call that initial sanctification, initial holiness. There is a new power in our lives, and it is the power of the Holy Spirit. But you and I have to open the book. If we want to look at the chapters and find out what it is that we now possess, we have to open our lives and offer them to the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit needs to be president of our lives, not just a resident. And that's the work of sanctification. It is a wonderful work. It is a wonderful promise, and chapter 8 tells us that we can live in the power of the Spirit who indwells us, who liberates us, helps us to be victorious from the battle with our independent self, and leads us in all the circumstances and moments of life. Again, I would close with the question, what about you today? I'm asking myself, what about my life? Am I experiencing a spirit-led, spirit-filled life? Well, may that be the case. And I would like to do something I haven't done yet on these podcasts. 
I would just like to have a brief word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and the power that it brings to our lives. We recognize it is the Holy Spirit who interprets that word. And I would pray that these verses we have studied in this exciting, wonderful chapter of Romans 8, with its promises, and there are promises that we didn't even look at at the end of the chapter, that we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. We thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit and that you want to do an ongoing cleansing, sanctifying work in our lives. With all those who are listening and praying right now, we ask that we would be faithful in giving ourselves completely to you and faithful to living in the power of your Holy Spirit. With thankful hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm looking forward to the next and last section and podcast of this series of three. Now that we have looked at the definition of uh, holiness and the fact that holiness is the fruit of our salvation and that we are to live holy lives and that we've seen the key is the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to look at chapter 7 in between, and I think we'll have the perspective from which to understand the struggle that Paul describes there uh, in chapter 7. So look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you. Join us again on the Holiness Podcast. Thanks so much for listening, and we'd love to hear from you. Share your thoughts, questions, or prayer requests. Visit us at SalvationArmySoundcast.org slash holiness. And if you're enjoying this Bible study, share it with a friend. They can subscribe wherever they get their podcasts. Thank you.